Hello, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Wally, A Fresh View on Gospel Living. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Emily McIntosh. And I'm Wally Goddard. Wally, it's good to talk to you today. You too, Emily. (laughs) I'm so excited because we did an episode on parenting. And um, in that episode, you you kind of talked a little, there was a kind of a sidebar about emotion coaching. And that, for me, I was like, oh, we need to revisit that. That that could be an entire um, episode. So here we are. We're going to talk about emotion coaching. How about we just dive right in? Yeah, let's, let's start with giving just a little background. Um, the book that really describes the five steps of emotion coaching is a, a book by John Gottman. John Gottman, uh, the famous guru of marriage, has also done some good research in the area of parenting. So he has a book called Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. It's a good book, and it and it gives those five steps in chapter three. It also gives some assessments. So if a person wants to say, what kind of parenting do I do? It allows you to do that kind of assessment. And, and his book is dedicated to the work and memory of Dr. Haim G. Ganat. And and um, Heim was really the one who created the stories. And and um, Gottman says directly, he says, you know, Heim Gannat got it right, and now we have a name for it. So if a person wants to see dozens of stories of emotion coaching, then they read uh, Between Parent and Child by Heim Gannat. So with that background, uh, we can take John Gottman's five steps and Often, when a child shows strong feelings, you know, a child's upset about something, we respond with either anger or with, well, in fact, uh, Gottman talks about three specific kinds of responses. One is to be dismissive, say, oh, you you don't hate your brother. You, you don't hate him. You love him. Well, d- dismissive responses don't help a child understand their own emotions, their own strong feelings. There's, there's one even worse than that, where you disapprove, you say, you don't hate your brother, you know, and, and, and we're really angry at the child for being angry with their brother. I think you can spot the irony in that. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's uh, another response, which is uh, laissez-faire. It's, I say, oh, honey, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, and, and the parent is stuck. They don't know what to do. And, and I think any of those describes where we are at different times in different emotional outbursts. Sometimes we dismiss, sometimes disapprove. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. And then, of course, the fourth option is emotion coaching. Emotion coaching. Um, so, So let's take that one we've described. In emotion coaching, a parent might say, wow, you're really upset right now. What your brother did was really upsetting to you. I can see that. I see it in your body. I see it in your face. You're really hurting right now. And and that it, you can see, in fact, let me ask you to describe, how is that different, Emily, for the child from the other responses? Well, I mean, I'm not a child, but as an adult, I feel seen when when someone not- like can read me and say, I see that you're having strong emotions about this. Suddenly, it's like immediately my body relaxes like, oh, Okay, I'm seen. They they they're getting it, you know. So at and so maybe I'm just a big kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of the great paradoxes of emotions 
is that the more someone tries to take it away from us, the more we defend it, the more we enlarge it, the more we go to war to defend that feeling we had. Like if you say, oh, honey, you and he were playing together just this morning, and I know you love him. You don't hate your brother. Then a child has to say, he's an idiot 97.3% of the time, and I hate his guts. <laughs> and and they actually try to rally more data, more energy behind their point because we've dismissed or disapproved or in other ways just uh, just ignored the feeling of the child. Yeah, it's so to right. be seen. Yeah. 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 So when, when we feel seen, it's like we no longer feel like we have to dig our heels in for the other person, the parent or whoever, whoever we're in relationship to, to understand where we're coming from and why we feel what we feel. Yes. When we're dismissed, we feel like we have to prove our point. When we feel seen, yep. then we're ready for the next stages of emotion coaching. Isn't that the mm -hmm. best? It is. It's great. We're primed and ready. So what, <laughs> so can you tell us the next stage? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the five steps that John Gottman outlines, he talks about being aware of the child's emotions. Be aware. Sometimes we're kind of uh, absorbed in our tasks. We're so absorbed in being parents and moms and dads that we we just don't even notice the child's growing frustration or the child's tiredness, the child's hunger and irritability. We don't notice and then when something bad happens, we're really mad at the child that they somehow out of nowhere became a terrorist. And and if we paid attention, we'd see the problem coming, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can think of the many times as a parent on, on both sides of it where I where I've really paid attention and and I can see how it just plays out so differently than when I'm really focused on my own thing and my child is is needing support. Um, how differently that can play out. Yes, yes. And and I want to I want to set this up with a scenario that for me was pretty pretty memorable. I remember once when I was a graduate student um, studying to get my PhD in human development, and a and a coworker who actually worked in the computer lab came to me and said, "I've had a real problem over the weekend with my child, and I want to debrief it with you." And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad to do that. And she said, um, my little girl who's four years old was playing with her six-year-old sister and the six-year-old sister's friend. Now, let me ask, Emily, can mm -hmm. you see trouble on the horizon already? Yep. She's a third wheel. <laughs> Why? Exactly. Exactly. So when you talk about being aware of child's emotions, then you can see how the problem is already brewing because the, that child is a third wheel, feels left out. And and my experience of six-year-old friends playing together is not that they look at the four-year-old and say, oh, we want to be especially nurturing and sensitive because we know that you might tend to feel left out. That's not what usually happens, is it? Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, so the, the children were playing together and uh, by all reports, they were the older girls were picking on the younger one and dismissing her and trying to get rid of her and tell her to go play somewhere else, maybe in, maybe in South America or Africa or anywhere, but uh, Antarctica yeah. further south, the better. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Antarctica, that would be chilling. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the four-year-old eventually became really frustrated and she grabbed the neighbor child's arm and scratched her. And it was unpleasant and left those red marks. And, uh, 
And so the two six-year-olds started to scream for mom and mom comes running and, and, and she just hears this uproar and she sees the children and um, they say, the four-year-old scratched uh, the neighbor girl. And mom, of course, is immediately angry because I mean, let's be honest. Part of the problem is not just that the four-year-old has misbehaved, but the four-year-old has started a neighborhood problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, we now have uh, we now have to deal with a neighbor and admit that our child is sometimes a terrorist. So um, the the mother said, um, "So Wally, what should I do in that situation?" And I said, um, "Do you mind telling me what you did do?" She says, "No, I don't mind." She says, "What I did is I grabbed my four-year-old and I scratched her arm until it bled." And then I took her to her bedroom and locked her in the bedroom and told her she was to stay there for three days and think about what she had done. And she said, I, she said, I really wanted that little girl to learn her lesson. Mm. Now, Emily, of all the lessons that the four-year-old learned, do you think the first was to be sensitive, to be thoughtful, to be more careful, to express emotions in better ways? No, my heart just broke as I heard you say that. Like I literally, my body just like, I just want to hug that little girl. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it? Really Mm -hmm. sad. Here's a four-year-old girl who now, um, some people will be uncomfortable with this idea, but I think she was doing what a human does when they feel picked on and ganged up on. And I'm not saying it's right. It's not right. And there's some emotional education that needs to take place. But to scratch the four-year-old and confine her to her room for three days does not teach her to be sensitive or to find better solutions. Mm -hmm. What it teaches her is this is a really scary world. And after you're picked on by six-year-olds, then you're picked on by adults. The the lesson is not what what she wanted. So the mom said, so Wally, what should I do? What should I have done? Did I do the right thing? And uh, we had a we had a good discussion, but it leads us nicely into um, into the other steps of emotion coaching. Step number two is recognize the emotion as an opportunity for closeness and teaching. I think Gottman says intimacy and teaching. Recognize the emotion as an opportunity for closeness and teaching. So instead of seeing this strong emotion, instead of seeing the girls screaming as um, a real problem that must be immediately settled, we see this as an opportunity. When children are upset, we have a unique opportunity to teach. We have a unique opportunity to draw close. And so um, when the mom asked me, what should I have done? I said, you know, I think the first thing to do is handle that emergency of the six-year-old who's screaming Try to settle her down and help her feel safe and maybe even carry her back home to her mom and say say to the mom, there was a little incident in our yard and we're going to work on it at our house and I wanted your daughter to be in your loving care and we'll be back to make amends and sort things out. So mm. you take care of the six-year-old and get her settled. And then maybe you get your own four-year-old. And my suggestion was, do you have a rocking chair? Do you have a place where you and the four-year-old can both settle down and feel more peaceful? Because great outcomes don't come from angry moments. So 
so let's imagine you get the four-year-old and you you put her in your arms and you rock and see we sometimes don't acknowledge how much our own strong emotions factor in here so mom needs to soothe not just the four-year-old but her own feelings her own emotions so maybe mom and daughter sit in the rocking chair and they rock she holds the four-year-old close until she starts breathing regularly again you know breathing in a in a deep and and uh, rhythmic way and you caress her hair and you hold her close and maybe you kiss her head you know all of this is counterintuitive isn't it our our natural man our natural parent does just the opposite it's to to respond to bad action with other bad action that's strong and immediate but let's imagine we calm down and and, and that's that's uh, what recognizing emotion is an opportunity for intimacy and teaching is all about. It's about this child is uniquely teachable right now. The next words I say will be remembered for decades. Let's make those words count. Let's not just say stupid things about how could you do that? What's wrong with you? Are you stupid? I mean, those those live in memory and they live in the child's heart as well so if we genuinely see this at not as a a crisis that must immediately be quelled but rather as an opportunity for teaching the child is more teachable than she's been in a long time the ordinary words <clears throat> you say at breakfast and through the day won't long live in memory but um the word you say now will. So maybe after rocking the child for a while, then you say, um, honey, you really had a bad experience, didn't you? Now notice what we're doing. We're not talking about misbehavior. We're talking about feelings and we're talking about her feelings. We're saying to that four-year-old, oh, sweetheart, what a terrible experience you had today to want to play and have fun and to feel hurt and diminished by your sister and her friend, to feel treated like somebody who's not welcome and not valued, I'm sure that hurts you. I'm sure that that um, it just feels awful to feel like they don't want you around. They don't value you. So um, at this point, the child will probably have some things to say, like, you know, Mom, it wasn't fair. They... they made fun of me and they wouldn't let me play with anything and they called me names. So step three in emotion coaching is listen with empathy and validate the child's feelings. Listen with empathy. So we say, oh, sweetheart, that is so hard. That is so awful for you to want to play with them and be treated so badly. That's awful. I'm really, I'm really sad that you were treated that way. And you validate the child's feelings. Um, you might say, yeah, you know, when we feel picked on, we feel really hurt, don't we? I understand that. When an important person in your life can say, yeah, I get that. No wonder you felt that way. Oh, I think I would feel that way also. Now, some might be tempted to say, well, you're making it okay for them to be angry. And I'm saying, no, 
no, I understand what it's like to be human. It's a really different thing. Mm. I understand what it's like to be human. I understand what it's like to have strong feelings. I understand what it's like to feel left out and hurt and made fun of and minimalized and marginalized. I understand that. And and so listening with empathy and validating the child's feelings, as that was a hard experience, sweetheart. Now, I, I should at this point say any speech making by the parent is probably quite unwelcome. Most statements should be fairly short and should be very focused on the child's feelings, not um, saying, you know, when, when I was about your age, I remember when 42 children in the neighborhood were really unkind to me. And you can, I'm sure you see what that does is it takes, Mm -hmm. it, it, it asks the child in a time of emotional pain to then start to try to enter someone else's world, to do some perspective taking at a time when they're really injured and feeling uh, damaged. And, and that's just, um, it, it's not helpful. What is helpful is to stay in tune with the one who's hurting the child. And so you say, yeah, dear, that's so hard. Um, one of the things that we do next is, is step four, label the, help the child label the feeling, help the child label the feeling. Wow. Right now you're just feeling left out and, and maybe you're feeling worried too, because now notice I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a benign attribution. Um, I might say to the daughter, I'll bet you, you want to be on good terms with the neighbor. You want to be friends. You want to get along. And right now you're probably even worried that, that they're going to be angry with you and you'll be treated even worse in the future, that they'll never want to play with you again. So at this point, we're giving language. We're saying you feel hurt. You feel disappointed. You feel lonely. You feel frustrated. Maybe you're worried about the future. You're concerned. So that giving of language is helping the child to move from this mass of confusion in their their soul, this jumble of feelings, towards a vocabulary that they can think about their own feelings, but also describe their feelings and process their feelings. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so much is coming up for me. <laughs> Just as I'm I'm thinking, I, I mean as you're as you're talking, I'm thinking these are all things we want as adults. This isn't even just for children. I'm I, you know, and so it's so interesting to me and I've done it. I've done it just like anyone that we have some expectations of kids that we as adults even aren't able to um to fulfill. Yeah. So the idea of kind of like you were saying earlier um, going into our own diatribe of our own childhood experience um, and expecting them to then enter our world. Well, when I, as an adult, am, am you know, sharing some tender, vulnerable moments with another adult, I don't want them to say, oh, yeah, well, when I, <laughs> you know, and so it's so, yeah, it's just so interesting that we expect this of children so often um, and that if they don't respond well to those expectations, that then they're further chastised or they're further shamed. Um, and so anyway, just as you're going through these, it, it's so interesting that it is so counterintuitive and um, how how helpful it really, really is when we're able to to take a different perspective and really enter their world in these ways that you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah. I love that observation because when we talk about emotion coaching, we're thinking particularly about parenting of, of young children. But wow, if we could do this with each other, the mm-hmm. same principles apply, don't they, Emily? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So we come to step five. Um, step five is to set limits on the child's behavior while helping the child solve the problem. We set limits on their behavior. So the child might say, um, in some circumstances, they might say, well, I'm going to go over and beat up that child and teach them a lesson. And now, this is a really, this is a big trap for parents. We might say, I can understand why you would feel that way. In fact, what Heimgenot used to say is we're permissive about feelings, but we're strict about behavior. Hmm. We all have feelings and those feelings go all over the landscape. Have we all at uh, one time or another felt like beating someone up? <laughs> well, if you haven't. A little throat you, punch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once uh, or twice, I might have felt that. <laughs> if we haven't, we're not getting out enough, you know, because. We're definitely not. <laughs> and, and often we feel that way in traffic. You know, we think if I just had a bazooka now, uh-huh. or if I were driving, a, <laughs> if I were driving a, a, a D9, I could push that car out of the way. You know, we, we have these angry feelings, but as adults, we have learned to not act on a lot of those feelings. So with children, we set limits on their behavior while helping the child solve the problem. We're still permissive about feelings. We say, yeah, yeah, I can see why you feel that way, dear. I can see as hurt as you are, I am not surprised that you would like to hurt somebody right now. Yeah, I get mm. that. But but we say that probably wouldn't help us get what we want, would it? I mean, what you want. Because you're a tender... Now, see, I'm going to make some more attributions. I'm going to teach the child how I see her. I say, Mm. because you're such a sweet and tender and good-hearted child, I know that's not your true nature. I know that. Your true nature is not to hurt other people. But I do understand how deeply hurt you are and how you might feel that way right now. So, So notice how this can be a sweet thing and it teaches them, yeah, Feelings like that are normal. They're common. You're not weird. You're not strange. But the way we deal with those feelings is so important. And sometimes it means going to someone who can help you process your feelings, whether that's your parent or a friend or God. We go to someone and say, maybe Heavenly Father, and say, I'm so hurt. And I just feel like starting a nuclear war. We... We can express that to him. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know I know how you feel. I felt that way myself. <laughs> if there's anyone who is fully compassionate, it is God and his beloved son. They get it. So, so we teach the child that their emotions are normal and we understand them and can help them make sense of them. But then... That problem-solving part is really saying, you know, sweetheart, I'll bet you're a little bit worried right now about your relationship with the neighbor girl. I'll bet you're worried about that and afraid that she'll be mad at you. And why don't we give it just a few minutes, maybe an hour, and then I'll call her mom and say that you'd like to come over and apologize. You'd like to come over and make it right. And, and, And of course, the point of that is, 
if mom calls mom, then mom can prepare that six-year-old neighbor child to be ready for an apology instead of being spiteful and, and maybe still caught up in the, in the emotion. And, and then maybe you go with your four-year-old and you help her find ways to say, she's so sorry. Um, or I am so sorry. I, I was upset and I should never have done that. And, and you're important to me and I'm sorry. And I, and I hope you'll forgive me. So look how we're creating a process for building bridges and think how different that is from confining a child to a room for three days after scratching her. So it's emotion coaching. And and what it does is require the parent to bring tutoring compassion to a child in the service of growing compassion in a young one. And um, it's a process I really love. And I would say that we almost never get it right. <laughs> that it's human nature to, our strong emotions tend to take us hostage and, and take us to really stupid places. We act in goofy ways that are so counterproductive when we are angry, most of us, most of the time. But emotion coaching, I, when I think about what I recommended to that mom, if she had been able to rock her child and understand her emotion, and when she felt fully peaceful, then do some problem solving, but not before, not until she's peaceful, and then build a, back a relationship with the neighbor child. And I would note this, the mother needs to do her own repenting. Her own repenting includes don't under normal circumstances, send your four-year-old out to play with two six-year-olds. It almost guarantees problems. Unless you're going to send your four-year-old out with cookies to give to the six-year-old. <laughs> I mean, yeah. isn't part of the problem that we as parents are so absorbed and we leave the children on autopilot and they mm -hmm. are in over their heads. They don't know how to deal with being teased and rejected and made fun of. And they they act out their anger. And a four-year-old may not know how to say, you know, you two are acting quite catty. And I think you should be ashamed of yourselves. No, she acts out with her fingernails. And it's not an appropriate way to act, but it's all she knows how to do. So, mm -hmm. so mom does her own repenting and she teaches a four-year-old how to make amends, how to set things right. And maybe she draws her six-year-old daughter into a conversation where she says, you know, sweetheart, you really are tender. And most of the time you play beautifully with your younger sister. But when you see things going badly, let's, let's find a way to solve that problem. Let's not dogpile on your sister when you're playing with a friend. So there's some, some ideas about emotion coaching, Emily, what would you add? Mm. Well, I don't know that I have anything to add. I mean, but I, I just a few points that I, that really jumped out at me. Um, were first that that piece um, about the rocking chair and addressing kind of the somatic nervous system part of what's going on. I think that I think of again as an adult how powerful that is when I can feel soothed and and bring the volume down a little bit of on my you know on my intense feelings that that is just so powerful and when we're able to do that for our kids and really be present and help them regulate in that way. 
Um, it's pretty much the only way, again, I as an adult can hear anything outside of my own perspective. If, if, if my nervous system is running at, you know, hundred miles an hour, I can't stop and hear and learn from someone else. Um, and so I just can see how a child being activated in that way, like this four-year-old was, um, how, how helpful that would be, um, if, if her mother was able to, to help her. And then the, the second piece that kind of jumped out at me was just kind of the cycle of, um, of going from feeling isolated, just how it, it, it just, how can I say it just spiraled downward. So the four-year-old was feeling isolated because the six-year-olds were kind of leaving her out. And then she got even more isolated when her mother put her in the room. And I'm just thinking how as humans, how, how frequently that happens, that we feel isolation. And so we have, you know, bad behavior because out of, out of our pain or our fear um, and how that furthers our isolation. And I'm also just thinking of that, that piece that you brought in of prayer, how connecting, you know, with, with our heavenly parents can, can really help us feel, again, I'm thinking of myself. If I'm not feeling so isolated, how my behavior can be better when I feel connected um, either to a friend or uh, whoever is helping me feel more connected. Um, I don't know. Those are the piece, pieces that kind of jumped out at me. Yeah. I love that, Emily. I love that. And, and notice how we're really teaching the child uh, a process of repentance too. We're teaching mm -hmm. the child. Um, I, I can imagine a parent saying to the child, you know, dear, there are a couple of people who are feeling pretty hurt right now. And one of them is the neighbor child, but one of them is heavenly father. And, mm -hmm. and a parent might, and the point is not to evoke guilt. The point is to teach a process for mending relationships. And the child, mm -hmm. if anxious, you might say, I can tell you that Heavenly Father is very ready to forgive and embrace you. All we need to do is kneel down and say, Heavenly Father, today we kind of messed up and we sure need your help and we do love mm -hmm. you and we want to be like your son. And, and of course, the way it goes with any particular family, um, any particular relationship will vary. But um, the principles, I think, are universal. When we're aware of the child's emotions, when we recognize that as an opportunity to teach and to grow, and, and we listen, we validate, we minimize our own intrusions, and we try to really enter the child's experience, we help them process the feelings, and then we help them problem solve. That's emotion coaching, and it makes a big difference. Hmm. I love that. It's, it's, this, it's so beautiful, the, the process that you've laid out. Just as a side note, Emily, the same process is surprisingly hard to do in marriage. And the reason is because in this story, the enemy of the child is, an, is a six-year-old. In marriage, when we're trying to do it and we see our spouse is injured, often we are the enemy. <laughs> and so mm. we have a hard time stepping out of that enemy role. In fact, when we can, uh, one of the, the most powerful brief interventions is inviting a couple to each see this interaction between them from an outside perspective. When we can stop being on the defensive uh, as the one who we feel like is being attacked and unfairly treated. And instead, when we can, when we can say, I want to attend to my partner's pain, then, um, then we can do some really good work. But, but the research says 
if we're already upset, if we've already become engaged, then uh, it's best to take a 20 minute break because (laughs) (laughs) because once we start to feel on the defensive, we're going to have a hard time engaging in a productive discussion. Right, right. Well, yeah, and and you even pointed that out with the with the child. Like we, she needed some space away from the six year old, um, and certainly we we as adults uh, need that as well. So, yeah, really good point. So, emotion coaching. I, I, I let me return to where I began and say that I I think John Gottman has done a beautiful job of of identifying the steps in the process. But if anybody wants to see a whole lot of examples of it in the in search of learning to be good at it, then I recommend Heim Gannat's book, Between Parent and Child. Well, in reading this book, um, it, it's a quick read. It's a really quick read. And what I love what I love about it really is that um, I mean, it just it's so easy to just dive into the story, just like feel like you're right there. And, and, and I think my best learning happens when a story like makes sense to me in that way, when I feel like I can, like I'm almost part of the story and I can relate. It's learning through stories is, is uh, really, really helpful to me. So I really enjoyed the book for that, for that reason. Um, but yeah. it's also nice to read Gottman's kind of really outlined, you know, version of it together. It's, it's helpful to, to really understand um, the principles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, in fact, maybe by way of of uh, adding to the discussion and wrapping it up uh, in in his book John Gottman tells a story of his being on a cross country airplane ride with his little girl uh, i think she was like i don't know she is 4 5 6 somewhere in that range his daughter named Mariah and as they were heading home um, she was tired they'd been at a family reunion and and she told her dad, I want zebra. Zebra was her stuffed animal. It was her favorite comfort object. And um, and dad said, well, let's, let's look. And so he digs into his carry-on and finds it's not there. Zebra has been packed in the luggage that's under the airplane. And so he says to Mariah, I'm sorry, dear. It, zebra is not there. A zebra is packed in the luggage. And she starts to scream, I want zebra. And and think about what we tend to do. We tend to explain our dilemma to the child. And and we don't attend to the child's feelings. And so Mariah is starting to scream, and the people on the airplane are looking at John Gottman and saying, Yeah, you're a famous psychologist, huh? <laughs> you're obviously really good at this. And and eventually he decides to practice what he preaches. And so he's turned to Mariah and he says, oh, sweetheart, this is so hard for you because I know you're tired. And when you're tired, you like to have that big blanket. And sometimes I cuddle with you at home and you hold zebra close and you can feel zebra on your face. And I know how you love that. You can see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's bringing an experience to her of compassion. His compassion is in some sense taking the place of zebra. He's helping her to experience it in fantasy, if not in reality. And and she mm-hmm. says, yeah, dad, that's what I want. And he says, I know. And I love it when I get to lay with you and, and you can hold zebra and I tell you a story and you doze off. I love that. And pretty soon, Mariah is asleep. So, our default setting is to correct, to preach, to to challenge people. 
And, and when we finally get to compassion, to empathy, when we finally get to dealing with people's emotions and get outside of our own needs, good things start to happen. Hmm. I love that. And again, I just, even as you were telling that story, I could feel like my nervous system start to regulate or, you know, my body just kind of calms down. And I've heard that story before. And it's funny to me that every time I hear it, I have the same response. I start feeling relaxed and calm. And so it's yeah, so interesting yeah. how powerful that kind of granting a wish can be. And it's amazing how, how beautifully that works. And so anyway, yeah. thank you again. I love yeah. that um, truth and that piece. So well, is this a good place to wrap up? Is this yeah. uh Yeah, and probably what we ought to do is I is I ought to take the recording the podcast and play it back for myself every day so <laughs> that I can actually practice what I preach. Well, thank you so much, Wally. This has been lovely. Thank you, Emily. It's great to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Wally on a fresh view of gospel living. 